G'day and welcome to Just Keep Punting, a very, very special episode of Just Keep Punting. I'm joined today by a man exuding so much sartorial class and elegance it almost makes me wish I was wearing shoes, possibly even undies. That's not going to happen though. He's a man of many hats and many bow ties and many names. The Mayor of Caulfield, Mr Caulfield, the guru. Josh to his mates, Joshua to his folks when he's in trouble. It's Mr. Josh Rodder. Guru, thanks for joining us on Just Keep Hunting. And let's face it, thanks for classing the joint up a bit. Hello, son. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Hello to everyone in the world of mid sports. It's, uh, it's an amazing feeling. Uh, a little bit nervous. It's been a big year listening to the likes of uh, Jason the Ninja as a party. I feel a little bit like I'm at Monterey Pop Festival and I'm following Jimi Hendrix and The Who. So uh, you have to fire me up a little bit, son. It's a big act to follow, but if anyone can do it, mate, it's going to be you. Now, we're here at the drab, dreary confines of the beautiful, illustrious, bosky surrounds that are the Caulfield Racetrack. For anyone who's interested in racing and who's been sedated and put into some sort of a coma and wedged beneath large chunks of sediment for the last three decades, can you enlighten our listeners as to your general background see this is me son just flicking my fingers and getting mother nature to water the track for us for saturday we're going to be racing on a good four weather fine rail true is there nothing he can't do that's what i'm here for son but um i actually feel privileged to work at the melbourne racing club this is my home late 80s early 90s a little bit of a wild teenager i was really lucky that when i landed at brighton high school i had a an amazing mentor in john locko and he said what are you interested in and i always loved sport I was obsessed with it yeah. and I told my teacher that and he could see that passion come out of me and he said, I can sort that for you. So he got me off the street, he got me a job at the Marine Hotel collecting pots on a Thursday night. It was dollar pots on a Thursday night well, a at the Marine Hotel. A lot of yeah. collecting. So I was one of those glasses, you know, balancing and you know the old uh, the piss blokes just give you a little nudge, see if you can <laughs> sustain it. But from there, I said I really love horse racing. So he knew a trainer here, a, a very famous Caulfield trainer, Rob McGuinness, who was actually an old school teacher himself. And he said, I've got the perfect trainer for you. So he got me a job, started out as work experience, developed into a full-blown passion for the animal and the thoroughbred i just i walked in there and still to my day my favorite horse is a horse called fancy bird this horse 1991 he made his debut yeah. and that's the year i walked into the stables right and i met this chestnut horse by navajo bird he put his head on my shoulder changed the whole trajectory of my life when really? you're going to get into sport you've got to get in for the right reasons and then the rest just flows so that's sort of how i started in terms of connecting with the sport of racing it was a fan of sport Let's get straight into it then, because this Saturday is huge. It's the big one. It's Guineas Day. This is, well, this is Melbourne's Christmas Day for racing purists, really, isn't it? It's run over the mile. We all know the ins and outs of it. It's widely considered the preeminent three-year-old race in the country. Some fantastic three-year-olds vying for a share of three million in prize money. The winner's going to collect 1.8 of that, so nothing to sneeze at. Why do you think this day is so special? Why do fans like you of this sport love it so much? For me, you know, as a youngster growing up, it was when, you know, football, which owns Melbourne, mm -hmm. owns Victoria, owns Australia, Aussie rules, turned to racing. And this is the first 
crack at elite racing. The other thing about the Caulfield Guineas is it's not just the prize money, son. You know, whoever wins on Saturday, I think there's only two geldings in the race this year. Right. Whatever Colt wins this, I mean, we're talking changing postcodes for the people involved in these horses. These horses suddenly become a, a commercial stallion prospect, anywhere up of $20, $30, 40000000 million. Crikey. You know, I was very proud of... Uh, good bunch of mates that were able, Troy Corsten's Brad Spicer, that lived that dream with Star Spangled Banner in 2009. I was living in Perth at the time, but they went to the sales, bought a son of Schwarzier, yeah. bought one and two percent. The horse won. It was oh, sold really? to Coolmore for huge money. That's what racing can do. You know, when we watch other sports like AFL football and, you know, NFL, whatever your soccer, you're sitting on the, on the other side of the fence, okay? And you're cheering. You don't have that investment. Yeah, horse racing, that you're investment. actually in the mounting yard with the jockey, pre-race, talking to the jockey, you know, giving them, you know, what advice you want to give them. Go faster than the other mob, yeah. Yeah, go fast or go home. You don't have to be an athlete to be an owner. You don't have to train hard. You just got to have that passion for the sport and be in it for the right reasons. And it can take you around the world. It can connect you with the most marvellous people. I mean, that's how I've met yourself. You got to take the good with the bad, haven't you, mate? So you meet so many great people. And then, as I said earlier, that connection with the horse. But in terms of the Caulfield Guineas, I think, you know, it's the first crack of spring. And everyone's ready. They're they're hungry for it. You know, they're hungry for Guineas Day. You make some really valid points about this being... Yeah, it's the sport of kings, but you can start as a pauper. You can get 1% and become that king. I'm really interested to know, there are some serious studs that have come from the guineas. There's a long line of quality sires. Is it the age, the distance, the potential, or are they all just mad rooters? What is the scenario here? Well, aren't we all, but um, I think... Well, um, yeah. You know, this podcast actually has a long line of impressive sires, mate, so I'm starting to see why you've got an affinity with us and You're the still a bull, aren't you? Mate, I was self-castrated many moons ago. Oh, wow. About that. I'm still just hanging on by the skin of my teeth at the moment. <laughs> I'm glad you said teeth. I think for horses, they get better with maturity. So spring three-year-olds, they're still, there's still no ceiling to their ability and what their scope is. That and potential. Where gonna, yeah. Potential. Yeah, so it's, I mean, that's a hard question uh, in terms of why they pick We ask the race. hard questions yeah, here, mate. We well, ask the hard I'm questions a, here at Midsport. I'm far from a breeder of, of horses. I obviously breed a couple of, bred a couple of humans I'm very <laughs> proud of. Hi, Matan and Hannah. The other thing I love about the Guineas is that Melbourne-Sydney rivalry. Yeah. You know, because every year you've got the best from Sydney come down facing, you know, the best from Melbourne. And it's always very hard to line up. But I don't think there's a lot between them. So Militarise comes down with a great form card. You know, he's a three-time Group 1 winner, twice at two, got up off the canvas and won the Golden Rose last night. But I don't think there's a lot between them this year. But it's always an intriguing battle between the Melbourne and Sydney media, the Melbourne and Sydney race fans on social media. I think that really Melbourne-Sydney rivalry is, is something that's very strong. Let's talk about that rivalry briefly because obviously this Saturday is a huge race day in New South Wales racing somewhat has the edge in terms of the financial lure of the Everest. I know that people who love Caulfield like yourself say there's nothing better than Guineas Day. It is the start of spring and it is the marquee event of this month. As a casual race fan, someone like myself, I enjoy the rivalry but I actually think you can get the best of both worlds whether you're at home in a public house or trackside here at Caulfield. I've been here and the Everest is sandwiched between two great races. You can be down on track swivel your head around, watch it on one of the multiple big screens in the comfort of a beautiful bar and then go back down to the mounting yard. I kind of see that this rivalry works in the favour of a lot of casual race I fans. love it. I love it. Yeah? And we've embraced it, son. you got to. I think it only makes it better. Yeah, as I told you, I'm a fan. Yeah. And us at the Melbourne Racing Club, we are fans of the sport. We've tailored our race card with Sydney to fit in. 
So the Everest owns 415. That's right. are having a really good gap. Channel 7 are going to run the full race day coverage on their main channel. And they're going to go into the 6 o'clock news with the third two-rack at 5.50pm. Oh, so we're going to get the Everest, Caulfield Guineas, the $5 million King Charles into the two-rack. What a um, day. What a day. And I think it's only going to make racing cut through to the mainstream even more. We've got some great offers at the moment, son. Anyone on social media, get onto the uh, Melbourne Racing Club socials. Two for one for Guineas Day. You can tell your mates, go, go take the two for one offer off social media. Tell them, I love you, man. I'm going to shout you to Guinea's Day. That'd be, that'd be my plan. But so we're, Saturday is Australia's greatest race day. That's what we've labelled it. Yeah. It's got to be unparalleled for sure. So let's get into the race day itself now. You're not your classical race analyst. You are someone who's been around the traps for decades. When you like the look of a horse in terms of its potential to win, is it part gossip and scuttlebutt around the traps? Are there equine signs that you notice after your years of experience? Or is it purely intuitive? What do you go off? I trust my eye. Maybe a little bit Mr Miyagi. Touch, feel, Daniel son. You know, we're talking like 32 years of watching horses go round. You've got to start trusting your eye if you've done it properly. Yeah. One thing in life is we've got... Two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. And use the ratio. Use the ratio. For me, it's been very much watch, listen, learn, ask questions, you know? Yeah, great. So pick out a couple of these races. Let's talk about the Scalacci Stakes here, mate. This is obviously an historic sprint race. A smaller field to whet the appetite, heading into even greater races to come in the card. We've got a couple of sort of joint favourites at the moment. Can you give us any insights from on the ground here? Yeah, so the Scalacci Stakes, named after the mighty grey flash, Scalacci himself. Now, this is obviously one race, son, you know, in all due respect, has been affected by the Everest. Yeah. Um, Manicado, Moya, these Group 1 races yeah, around yeah, it. Sure. We're racing at Group 2 level for $300,000. I'm really happy that we've got the likes of Uncommon James and Asphora. Mm. These two have built up a little bit of a rivalry. Um, at the moment, I think it's 2-1. Uncommon James. Asphora took his scalp last start at Mooney Valley when Imperatrice beat Asphora. Uncommon James sort of cruised home into third spot, but Uncommon James did beat Asphora at 1100 in the Oakley Plate in the autumn. So they meet again. I like the addition of blinkers for Uncommon James, just to switch him on. And I like the fact, I don't think he's a thousand metre horse. Okay. Thousand metres is a real specialist distance, as we saw in the Moya. And it's probably why Peter Moody missed the Moya with I Wish I Win and went to the 1400 in the Everest. Thousand metres is a real specialised distance. It's the gates fly back and there's no time to breathe. That's it. It's hold your breath and go. So out to 1100, I think that's a tick for Uncommon James. I think it's a tick. Blinkers on. I love... Damien Lane, I love where he's at mentally. And as we know in sport, so much of it is above the shoulders. I think he's the jockey to follow this spring. Okay. So, you know, the likes of Amelia's Jewel. Let me get a pen. Let me get a pen, mate. So he's my jockey to follow. I just love where his head's at. You know, the time he spent in Japan, recently married. He's a happy man and he's in the zone. So I think Uncommon James can turn the tables on Asphora. Love it. And I think it'll be a really good contest, a really good race between these two. classic ding-dong battle. Yeah, so I'm really – make sure you tune in and watch this race, even if you don't have an investment. But I do like Uncommon Common James, the early price got snapped up. So not sure where it'll go race day. Probably pattern of the, the day and the way the track races might dictate, but I don't think there's much between them. It's the old Jack Nicholas line, isn't it? Sports a game of inches, most notably the four between your ears. And Damien Lane's in good nick in that department, so we're laughing. Race seven, the might and power. You actually have a bit of an affinity with the horse in terms of the fact that you, you ended up managing the champion jockey, Jimmy Cassidy, post might and power what were those days like was he on st clement's bell back then yeah, yeah. so so i met him i went over to perth in 1999 funnily enough for pluck a duck's wedding he was marrying <laughs> a friend of mine 
And um, okay, hang on. I need a moment here, yeah. mate. I need a moment. Yeah. So we were staying in a hotel down <laughs> in Scarborough, and Josh went networking for three or four days, and um, <laughs> I, I, hooked, I hooked up with Jim the Pumper Cassidy, who I'd met that spring. Pumper and plucker, what a combo! I hooked up with Jimmy in the during the spring, and we got to know each other. So I came out to watch the watch St Clemens Bell win the fruit and veg. That's when it was a lead up to the railway stakes, and he beat Slavonic. Slavonic ended up turning the tables and beating St. Clemens Bell in the railway. But Jimmy and I's connection was really made there in that 99 Perth Summer Carnival. And um, I think it was in the year 2000, we won our first group one with Road to Success here at Caulfield in the Blue Diamond. And from there, we just went Wooshka. But again, a privilege to be associated with guys like Jimmy Cassidy. It's just a privilege. I learned a lot from Jim. I mean, the horses he rode, the races he won. It was great to learn off someone like that. So privilege is probably... What it's about with the bumper. Man, I'm, I'm privileged to know someone who went to Pluckaduck's marriage. We're going to have to get you back on the podcast just to talk about that at some stage. Just quickly, what does managing a jockey entail? Is it just making sure they don't bulk up on pasta or hang out in Mornington over COVID? What else? I think it depends on the relationship between the jockey and the manager. I used to get in the sauna with the gloves and the pads. And Jimmy, <laughs> yeah, Jimmy and I would do pad work in the sauna. Oh, can you imagine just rocking up to your local baths, opening the door and seeing Jimmy Cassidy throwing down with you in the sauna? I'd be like, all right, mate. I'm just going to go try Pilates or something else. So there was an occasion when he was riding Redoute's Choice, I think in the Manicato of late 90s, early 2000s. He had to ride 51 and a half. So there was myself and four mates that had to play tennis with him for three or four hours. So we just alternated. And Jimmy was just, next, we'd have a break. Just aerobic capacity. These days it's more of an agent. Yeah, you know, a lot of text messaging and emails yeah, and booking rides. I, with Jimmy, I wanted to go all Your in. hands on. Yeah, like, show me the Quan, Jerry. Show me the Quan. You know? <laughs> so, um, so, is that your word? Did you make no, that up? That's, no, 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 that's, that's good. That's <laughs> so it's a bit more. I threw everything into it, you know, and that's how I tackle life. Yeah, I can tell. You've got a lot of zest and a lot of vim and vigour, and I'm happy to have you on board. So let's get to the might and power. The might and power stakes, formerly known as the Caulfield Stakes. I mean, this is a simple, this is a good horse's race. And going back uh, to 1993, naturalism. You know, what a horse. Probably not remembered as one of the great greats, but that's only because of bad luck. He ran second in the Japan Cup when he wasn't 100% you know, against the world's best. He fell in the Cox Plate when he was a short price favourite, the greatest Cox Plate of all time. Not for him, but yeah. for, for, in terms of the runners running in the race, let's elope, superimpose, better loosen up, uh, rough habit. Um, Atlantic Jewel was only beaten once by It's a Dundee and Underwood. She got back on top of the ground in the Caulfield Stakes, the might and power now, and won it. That was another one. You know, so you think the best horses win the might and power. And yeah. on Saturday, we see a true equine hero in Alligator Blood. He's captured the imagination of the fans, hasn't he? You know, yeah. he's um, kissing spine surgery. He's had all sorts of injuries. He's been through two or three different trainers. He's now with the, the legend of racing in Gay Waterhouse. Fans are going to come and watch and cheer on yeah. you know, a, a hero like him. You've been around many, many great horses around the traps. Is there something ineffable that you can't quite put your finger on when you're around greatness? If you were standing next to a might and power, if you're standing next to something like alligator blood, do they give off a different aura? Is, it, is that a weird question? No, doubt. no, no, it's not. No doubt. Um, you can, they use confidence, yeah. you know, the way they prance around the mountain. They know they're good. Yeah. No doubt about it. What about after a loss? Does it affect them mentally, do you think? Do they know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And I mean, you can see with the likes of Black Caviar and Winks, when they're in that zone, they were just invincible. I think there's no doubt about it. They know it. I start shaking when I'm around these great horses. Yeah. You know, like I can't wait for Saturday to see Amelia's Jewel. Tuesday, I was here for track work and Amelia's Jewel was here. It was the first time I'd really seen her. And what I mean, was I that feeling like? What was, was that, that like? It was amazing. Amazing to meet your 
your heroes, virtually, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, no, it was amazing. I, I, I love it. I really can't wait to see Alligator Blood. Tim Clark returns to the saddle. He's regular rider. He's a real warrior, Alligator Blood. I mean, just get online and see what this horse has gone through. He's really faced adversity many times and keeps fighting it. There's a big question mark. He's had two runs at 2,000 metres mm. and hasn't been able to win. Mm. And the Caulfield 2,000 metres is quite tricky. You need to be a horse that's quite agile, light on your feet. You're turning, you're climbing, and you're always working. It's hard to get a breather. So it's a, it's a big question mark on Alligator Blood. If he can take out this Group 1 might and power over 2,000 after he's just won the weight for age um, Underwood Stakes, it'll be huge. It'll be another string to his bow and probably nearly take him to champion status. But there's still a question mark. I wouldn't dive in at the price. I'll just be... A fan. A fan of his glories if he does win the race. Um, if I was in Alligator Blood's camp, I'd be really concerned about Juas. She's an Australian Cup winner over 2,000. She won the Kunji here at Caulfield last spring. She's got an amazing turn of speed. And her work here Tuesday was excellent. Her run in the Underwood was as good as any horse. She had Sulcum behind her. Sulcum's come out and been competitive, obviously. He placed behind Gold Trip in the Turnbull. So I think Juas is the horse. It opened up a silly price at $6. I think it's firmed in now. The one that I'm sort of a bit... Mm, uh, is just fine. Just beat Spirit Ridge in a, in a probably mediocre metrop. Really well found and well backed. I'm not with it on Saturday. Okay, that's the lay. I like it. Let's get to the big one then, mate. It jumps at 5.10, the guineas. So whether it on the track or at home, make sure you pace yourselves out there in the public houses on the libations punters. Keep your powder dry. There's nothing sexy about a premature punter. Take it from me and all of my relationships. So we've got a handful of contenders this year, militarised to party, King Colorado, Shelight. What's what's the skinny on your end, mate? Any inside info? Well, I saw militarised for the first time in the flesh hit work here on Tuesday. He's a typical Dundeal um, type. He's not much to look at. He's not very big. The Dundeals aren't big. It's a Dundeal, wasn't a big horse. He does tend to pass that on. So he wasn't amazing to look at, but he got around Caulfield really well. Chris Waller knows what horse it takes to win the Guineas. He's, he had a similar campaign to win the Guineas with Press Statement and then also the Autumn Sun. As I said, I don't know this year if there's a lot between the Melbourne and Sydney horses. As I said, you know, the Golden Rose was a bunch finish. It was three lengths from first to 12th. But his win was extraordinary. He was in traffic. He's not a 1,400-metre horse. Chris Wall had put the blinkers on to sharpen him up. His last 100 metres, he was airborne. Um, so he's crying out for the mile. And that can be the big test, son, in this race is you've got unexposed three-year-olds that haven't been tested at the mile. Their lungs are going to be burning the last hundred. I think we saw Alligator Blood a few years ago looked absolutely home for Ryan Maloney in the guineas. And that last 10 metres, Super Seth got him right on the line. Animo rushed home and won a guineas. Lonro, that last 50 metres can find some of these out. Which is why it's such a great race, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So for me, I think there's... I think there's a bit of a tail to it this year. And I think the three main chances are Militarise, Stepardi and Shelight. I'm going with Shelight at the price. I can't believe it opened up $15. I think it's just an each way bet to nothing. So three runs back, they've all been fantastic. He's still very new. The penny hasn't dropped with him mentally, but I think there's something under the hood. I really do. And I think he's the horse coming into this race that can go to another level. I love the addition of Winkers. They trialled him in Blinkers before his last start, and I don't think it had the desired effect. They've had a bit of time to try and work him out and get him right for his grand final. Mark Zara is as good as any jockey in the land. We've seen that in recent years. He's a Melbourne Cup winning jockey now. He's again in the zone. He's had that one sit on Sheila, and he would have learnt a lot from that last ride. Um, he kept dropping the bit. 
got on heels. And on the corner, the key to Caulfield is that when they're running into the bend, you want to pick up momentum. It's not like Flemington where you sort of build. You need to be hitting top gear coming to the corner. Stepati was in top gear and he sort of dropped the bridle and lost Stepati. Go have a look at his last furlong. He absolutely grew a set of wings. He's crying out for the mile. His pedigree is by a Japanese horse, Real Steel, who was my favourite horse in Japan. He was a miler that got tested out to 2,400 metres, but he was a beautiful, balanced son of the world's greatest stallion deep impact. He had a beautiful action on him. And I think this horse has picked up some of Real Steel's quality. So I think $15 early, I think he's into 11 or 12. I think he's the each way play. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, Militarise was able to take out the race. But I've got a little bit of an interesting stat about... Oh, hello. You've come prepared. ...unbeaten horses in the um, Caulfield Guineas. So Stepati comes into this race uh, five from five. There's never been, son, an unbeaten Guineas winner. Really? According to the records, never. So Stepati's certainly stepping into uncharted waters. Um, recent unbeaters beaten Guineas runners since Piero who ran second, include Mawunga in 2020, um, who was three from three. He finished seventh. And Alligator Blood in 2019, who was five from five and went agonisingly close. Oh, so for history. Chasing history to party. I mean, obviously a great story. Mm. Mr. Baldwin, who bred the horse, no one wanted it to buy it. He raced it himself with friends. There's a lot of, there's some real fairy tale ownership stories in that horse. So it'd be fantastic to see him win, but... He's going to have to do something that's never been done before. Oh, I love it. I love every second of it. And word is he's a mad rooter, so he's every <laughs> chance to get first past the post. Look, we round the day off at Caulfield this Saturday with obviously race 10, the Turak Handicap. I love handicap racing. I think Australia should be proud of handicap racing. It's probably the only place in the world where we've got handicaps that are as the best races in Australia. What is it about the handicaps that you love? Well, it's a leveller. Not only for someone, if you want to go and pull out the form guide and do the form, you're trying to find that horse that might have snuck in on the the weights the handicapper hasn't seen its best yet but then you've got these elite horses like superimposed one four randwick miles two epsoms two doncasters high up in the weights so the best are being challenged to hold off those light lighter weighted progressive horses so it's a leveler it's an evener and you know that's the australian way isn't it 100%. give the little little guy a go so you know like saturday in the two rack amelia's jewel she's been given a decent weight for a mare so mares get an allowance for being a mare versus the boys so she's in with 56 so that's like having 57 and a half mm. if she was a male so she beat a horse at moody valley in the stock stakes pride of jenny so pride of jenny's got 52 so she nailed her on the line, better her length, better comfortable, but she's got to cop a four kilo penalty, Amelia's Jewel, turn around in the weights and beat her in handicap conditions. That's a leveller. She's going to be tested again, Amelia's Jewel. So, I mean, don't we want our best to be tested? Always. Yeah. And, and I guess it's not only that they're getting tested and it's a leveller, but it can also be the creation of a legend. Exactly. If you come back from adversity and you have that extra weight and still stamp your authority, that's when it goes up another stratosphere. It seems like it's all about Amelia's Jewel. You've had the pleasure of witnessing this beast live. Is there something special about this horse when you're around it? I think she's extremely intelligent. So there's not, a, not only has she got a big set of lungs and she's built for speed, she's really smart and intelligent. You'll find that with the really good horses that they are. She knows what it is. And race day, so gallops, she'll usually gallop with a partner with no blinkers and she needs a partner to keep her concentrating and, and chasing a bunny in the gallop. Uh, Simon Miller couldn't find a partner, so he whacked a set of blinkers on her in the gallop, and Damien Lane was just swinging on her. You know, she ran that flashing second in the quokka. She's not really a 1,200-metre horse. She wants this mile. Fast run, handicap mile. Damien Lane's one, two, two racks. He's only got to ride her like he rode Tosin Stardom and Land of Plenty, sort of sit 
you know, just off midfield, give her plenty of air, and she'll beat these. Yeah. Um, I just think she's um, she's a superstar. Um, there's an interesting runner in there that I mentioned earlier prior to Jenny that gets in with that four kilo swing. She's going to make the pace. She was really brave at Mooney Valley in the stock stakes. She made Amelia's Jewel break a track record to run her down. As I said, it's a handicap race. So she drops to 52 kilos and gets four kilos off Amelia's Jewel. So she'll, she'll be the one that Amelia's Jewel has to run down and maybe a little bit of the value if you don't want to back a horse at, you know, five to four, six to four. Maybe you want to have something each way on Pride to Jenny. But it is a really good two-rack. No one's run scared. There's some really quality miles, milers in it. We've got Pinstripe, who won the Fian. He's now got a golden ticket into the Cox Plate, so using this as a stepping stone. The big question with Amelia's Jewel, son, is when she wins on Saturday, will she go to chase the big $10 million prize in the Golden Eagle or will the owner stick with tradition and chase that? That, you know, holy grail, one of the holy grails of racing in the Cox Plate. And do you think, let's do a little future prediction before we leave here, and it's been a hell of a chat, we've covered a lot of ground. Is there a chance a three-year-old can win the Cox this year? In I, your I opinion? do. I you think do. so? Yeah, I don't think it's a vintage Cox Plate. I think um, last year it was really strong. I think the Caulfield Melbourne Cups last year were a little bit soft. This year, for mine, and I, <laughs> I know I'm in the black shorts, I might be talking out of my kick, I think the Caulfield Cup, Saturday week will be the race of the spring. It's been a long time since we've had these horses that are on brink of weight for age class contesting a handicap race like the Caulfield Cup. So I think the Cox Plate's probably the race that's up for grabs this spring, especially if Amelia's Jewel chooses Sydney. Um, Romantic Warrior's coming off a short price favourite defeat. I know they're saying he's got scope for improvement fitness-wise, but really it's there for the takings. And I think three-year-olds, when they go there with the right form, always run well. And I think a three-year-old, um, will get its chance this year in the Cox Plate. Well, you heard it here first. I'll tell you what, we've covered a lot of ground, mate. Let me run over it a little bit here. You, you fancy this Saturday, Uncommon James can square the ledger. You think following Lane is the way forward this spring? Yes, I do. Head's in good nick. Stapati's going to be going for history, but you fancy Shelight at the price. It sounds like Alligator Blood is probably a bit too good for the rest of them. Yeah, but I think Juas will give him a mighty scare. Yeah, I think... Juas will give him a scare there. And Amelia Jewell's already got it one. It's about the future in the next month or so for that horse. Mate, next week we're going to be back in these bosky surrounds for yet another iconic race. You reckon it could be the race of the spring, the illustrious Caulfield Cup. We're going to be in your backyard once more, mate. And I tell you what, Mr Rodder, it's been an absolute treat and a bloody pleasure to have you on board, the Mayor of Caulfield, on the podcast today. We can't thank you enough. I'm going to be a bit tad cheeky here and try and pounce. Are we a chance to steal you away this time next week and chat all things Caulfield Cup. I can't wait. It'll be epic, son. Bang! Really looking forward to it. That's recorded. That is a verbal contract. (laughs) You can't get out of it. I'm going to go get a witness to sign it in blood. Massive thanks to you, Guru, for all the insights and the yarns to all our listeners. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We're going to be back next week for a review of this Saturday's racing and to talk all things Caulfield Cup. It's going to be a belter. Until then, thank you, Josh. I love you. Stay mint and good luck, punters. Happy racing. Ting ding. I was playing football at Hampton Rovers. Um, I'd been through a couple of footy clubs, St Kilda City, East Brighton, Ajax. A mercenary. Yeah, and then I landed at Hampton Rovers. When we won a flag under 17s my first year there. Glorious time. It's actually 30 years this year. And then I started playing under 19 seniors at Hampton Rovers. Great football club. So one day Flying Spur was running in the Golden Slipper. 
and I told all my friends in the media it had run in the Blue Diamond and the Sires Produce and the word was it had gone to the paddock. But I'd actually heard that it hadn't gone, officially gone to the paddock. They still had their eyes on the Golden Slipper. Here we go. It was a really hot Golden Slipper. Strategic, octagonal, our Mace Gay, Millrich, Hotfield. And this is when you could do the pre-post betting. You had to ring up someone like Colin Tidy and put a bet on. Didn't have a credit card. So I've come home to my father. They're not interested in racing. Actually didn't like me gambling. But I was probably about 19 at this time. So it would have been 95 maybe. Mm. Anyway, so I said to my dad, I want to back this horse. I want to have 100 each way. So my dad said, okay, you can use my card. So I rang up Colin Tidy. He didn't have the horse in the market. So he quoted it for me at 66 to 1. Beautiful. So I had 100 each way. And my dad had something on as well each way. So he had 50 yeah, I'll tell you what, your dad's changed his tune, hasn't pretty, he? Pretty quick. <laughs> and I just kept telling people that I really think Flying Spur is a serious animal. I, I knew he was always going to be a Group 1 horse, but he was a colt probably just losing concentration at times. But I thought the trip away, going to the Golden Slipper, high pressure run race, he could run really well. It sounds like you saw a bit of yourself in him. There you go. Colt, loves so. the pressure, maybe losing focus. So at the time, I was, go I was driving my grandfather's old Ford Fairmont. I had the boss speakers in there. I got my girlfriend to park the car at, on centre wing. Now, Mick Malone, the coach, said to all the players before the game, I know Josh has tipped you this horse. We're all on it, <laughs> but we still need to win the game of footy. <laughs> Seniors had gone, I think, and played at Thomastown. They were all on it. Yeah. So Ian Craig, I, I knew what time they'd be moving into the gates. So I was on the ball. I got the Ruckman to shift play to the centre wing. <laughs> there was, yeah. There was even got a couple of guys on the opposition team that had backed it. Anyway, so it was five points of difference, close game. And the Ruckman, I just said, boundary, boundary. Anyway, they're just about set now for the 1995 Golden Slipper. Flying spur moves in and they're off. Just go down so, with a head knock, wouldn't you? Go down with cramps. So 60, 70 seconds of um, dash there for, for Golden Slipper. And it was our Mace Gay Millridge octagonal down the outside. And here's Flying Spur bursting through the middle. So basically burst through and won the race. Unreal. The funny story is on the Friday morning, well, it's not that funny for Jimmy, but the jockey tape scandal had come. And I didn't know Jimmy Cassidy at the time, but we knew how good he was. Front page of the papers Friday was Jim Cassidy um, has been given three years. There's a few jockeys in trouble and he'd lost the ride on Flying Spurs. So I was a bit nervous and this unknown jockey, yeah. Glenn Boss, came on. And my dad's like, I told you this game is full of shifty people and it's carrying on. Anyway, Glenn Boss, this unknown Queensland jockey, came down and won the Golden Slipper for us. But... We're jumping up and down on centre wing, you know, at Hampton Road. Those up and down, <laughs> David Street Reserve, and um, hugging, and the game still wasn't over. So that was probably in terms of the punt, and that story was a, was a real thrill. That's fantastic.